We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to episode 24 of the Swider Show, the Kobe episode of the Swider Show. Uh, Chris Super LaValle Sa- episode as well. Chris LaValle episode, yep, that's our 26th time in 24 episodes mentioning Chris LaValle, so shout out Chris. Uh, if you guys don't know Chris, uh, former walk-on at Syracuse, one of our great friends. So, But uh, but yeah, Patty, pretty eventful week, not only for Syracuse, obviously naming Red Autry the head coach like we discussed mm-hmm. last episode, but a lot of exciting news with the tournament, with NBA, MVP race, and... Uh, ah, you're and tipping yeah, the... It's copycat league. You're... you're... It will, will tip in a little bit. We'll yeah, a little bit. yeah, we'll But, but we'll with, the bracket, anyway. with the bracket coming out, this is always like a super fun week in college basketball. Yeah, I think it's any basketball fan. This is towards the top of best weeks of the entire calendar year. Yeah. Um, last year or last night, you just you see the bracket in your hands, and it's just exciting. Is all it is. Yeah. And especially for you know, nine to fivers like myself, workers like myself, this is just a great week to to like work from home, do your thing, and watch like twenty eight hours of college basketball. This people say this Thursday, Friday of March Madness is like people's Christmas. Yeah, I mean, as far as sports days of the year go, there's really nothing. Like, there's there's different feelings throughout the calendar year, but like there's there's nothing that rivals this, in my opinion. It's just so unique. You think it's better than the Super Bowl? Would you make that hot take? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the Eagles will play in this next like twelve Super Bowls, so maybe not that, but. As far as I mean, it's just wall to wall. What twelve forty seven a.m. or p.m. start, and then it goes to like midnight. Yeah, no, there's, there's madness. There's chaos. There's a lot going on. But um, I'm gonna be waking up yeah, having yeah. a coffee and watching March Madness. Yeah, that, how, how's that gonna go at the Pacific time? Actually, 9:30. no. Nine thirty. I'm gonna be in Austin, Texas. Oh right, right, the Austin right. Spurs. So, but yeah, early wake up, watch some hoops, get ready for my. Uh, Ready for my game on Thursday night, but yeah, it will be a, it'll be great. I was gonna say I actually had that as a question for you because I've always wondered like, 
Yeah, the Pacific time, it kind of sucks in a way. Like, that's one of the times where it's like, oh, the, this, the time change here is, is kind of ass. Yeah. Like, being three hours behind, what, the 9.30 tip? Although it is kind of cool, like, as soon as you wake up, it's there, but... I, um, I loved watching Syracuse at 4 p.m. this year. I, I, I don't know. It was just it was great. Getting out of practice around 2, 2.30. I mean, you were here. You, you kind of know my schedule. Uh, yeah. And then you only have an hour to wait till the Syracuse. Take a quick nap and Syracuse is playing. The other thing is the game ends and it's like 6 o'clock. You have the whole night. Whole night. And then say it's a late tip. Sometimes they do the 9 o'clock starts at the Dome. Even Six. in that case, it's 8 p.m. When, it, when it's over. And then we're recording you know, an you episode could, you right could watch, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You could... You could watch a movie. You could go get some ice cream. You could go get some pops with your friends. Syracuse or uh, celebrate the Syracuse win. It's like it's endless, endless nighttime left. Whereas on the East Coast, it's like 11 p.m. You're already in the feathers. But uh, yeah. Um, B.S. Wider, you you said you before we started recording, you gave a line about why you haven't filled out a bracket yet. If you'd like to share that with the audience, if Syracuse ain't playing. I ain't watching. Yeah, there we go. All right, we just spent two minutes on how we're going to watch it, the entire thing, but that's a nice, that's a nice pander line there. I'll take that. I'll accept it, that. It, it was funny. It was funny. Today, uh, we're in the locker room. I, I threw out that line in the locker room with, with the South Bay team, and obviously we have Fabian White, who plays for Houston, who played for Houston, obviously legendary career at Houston. They're the, the number two overall seed. He's all excited for March Madness. And uh, I would say... Fabian and I are the two biggest like advocates for our former schools, right? Right. And it's funny because Fabian went to Houston for five years, and I was in Syracuse for one year. So there's a little <laughs> bit of a, a time a time disparity. Uh, uh-huh. so, so, so Scotty's giving me crap about, hey, like, why are you so into Syracuse? I was like, you don't understand. You don't understand until you're on yeah, campus. Like, it is how, different. How different it is, and like how how much people like want to go back and be and like be a part of the program. So. Yep, I'm Syracuse through and through. I bleed orange, and um, I'm going to stay with that. That is kind of a layup line from one of your teammates, though. If you're, like, busting balls in the locker room, you're like, dude, come on, you were there for one year. Exactly. There's no way you, you care about it that much. Like, it's that's just a predestined, like, easy line to throw at one of your teammates to make fun of them. And I don't know, I can't I can't, I can't, can't pile on there, Swider, as much as I'd like to because I feel the exact same way. <laughs> and I was there for the exact same amount of time. A little bit, a little bit less, um, less amount of time than me. Probably two months less than me. Oh, yeah, because of the summer. I yeah. also, you know, I showed up and everyone was like, who the hell is that? Whereas you were <laughs> you were very uh, prized possession when you showed up. But, yeah, this this week is just so exciting. Um, but I do think in talking about Syracuse, last week we spent so much time, deservedly so, talking about Coach Beheim, but it became official. There was the press conference on Friday morning. Um, and it was weird again to watch it was sort of sad sort of bittersweet in a way because you watch coach Beheim. he had a lot of good Beheim lines in there he was very funny very humorous but also was very like touching yeah. um i think so many people are happy to see he said he'll stay involved with the program i don't think that comes as a surprise from any like diehard fans or guys like us that were around the Beheims every day i don't think <laughs> i don't think he had any intention of leaving syracuse or you know going elsewhere so um yeah, he said he'd, he'd be involved in some capacity. but And then Red takes the stage, and he was awesome. Um, he just looked very comfortable. And it's definitely, like, that gave you excitement as a Syracuse fan going forward. And I think what's even cooler is that, I don't, I don't know if you, you're a big uh, Twitter guy, but I've seen Red in, like, six different gyms since 
he, he took the job. Like, he's out there recruiting. I know he's in the portal doing his thing. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for where Red's going to take this program. It's a new energy. It's a mm-hmm. new – it's going to be a new style of play. I think when you're – when you when you have a same coach for 47 years, it's easy to, to bash on the coach, right? But, obviously, like, he was so dominant for so long that when, when you have one season that's like, all right, like, it's not – it's like a normal season yeah. for any other high major program – you're, you're spoiled, and you're used to going to the Sweet 16 every year. Like, I, I get it. You know what I mean? It's, e- it's easy to, oh, we, we need a new face. Obviously, Beheim is one of the greatest coaches to ever do it, and I think we've kind of seen the love and respect of him through all media outlets since since the press conference, which has been great, deservingly so. So, mm-hmm. But it's just great to see Red out there recruiting, working hard, and GMAC and the whole entire staff just – just getting after it. And it was, it was cool to see Coach Beheim be able to go see Buddy. Yeah, like, exactly. On the go see side, Buddy, O'Shea, mm-hmm. and kind of enjoy retirement. It's, I mean, it's his first four days off in, in, his, in his lifetime. Yeah, literally. Um, but, yeah, it's actually funny you say that because on Saturday I was walking in the streets of New York. Yeah. Guess who I ran into, Swider? Let me guess, an Audrey. Adrian Autry. Wow. Yes. Junior. I think it's Junior. Yeah. Um. Might be the third, who knows? But yeah, I ran into him on Saturday morning, and he was just like, "Yeah, like Red's already out there recruiting. Like him, G Mac, Pete, and uh, Coach Griff were were already in Philly, I think it was, and then they were headed to New York City, I think today or Tuesday night. So yeah, they're just they seem fired up. They're they're hitting the trails pretty hard. So um, yeah, it's very exciting. But well, Delso Cubs is like no surprise. One, one of the one of the great interviews I saw, Red did an interview with uh, Matt Park. And Matt Park said that uh, even though you're only moving one to for those for those who don't know Matt Park by his name, he is the voice of the Orange. So any, yep. anytime you watch on ACC Network, um, I'm pretty sure he does radio as well. Yeah. But any any home game from Syracuse that you watch, that's not you know Dan Schulman, the national guys. It's Matt Park's voice you're hearing. So great dude. Does a great job. Super super loyal Syracuse guy, and and obviously great great friend of Patty and Patty and mine. But he had an interview with uh, with Red. And he go, you go from suggestions to decisions now. And I thought that was such a cool thing because it's like Red has been the suggestion guy, right, or the strong suggestion guy for the past 10 years, 15 years, mm-hmm. 20 years. And he went from a, the dobo to assistant to associate head coach, and now he finally gets his, his way up. Mm-hmm. Now he finally gets, gets his chance. And I thought that was such a cool way of just, just showing, like, not only did he work his way up, but now – he makes the decisions now, and when he's going out recruiting like like he always has, now it's his his chance to fold yeah, it to his the guys. So, I, I think it's just so cool. I think Red's ready for the moment. He's been such a great great person for me in my career. And when I went back to Syracuse, it was just like a just like seeing like an old, old good old friend, man. And um, <laughs> one one thing I will say though is that when you're the head coach, can you be as as friendly with? the players as, as you were as an assistant. I think that's always an interesting uh, thing to Yeah, to that's the uh, that's the thing that'll be interesting to see because I really can't see Red not like acting like that and goofing around and stuff, yeah. you know what I mean? I know. Um, which, I, it's just his personality. He'll definitely keep that. But yeah. like you're saying, it's, it's, like, it's, it's definitely a different dynamic. It also goes to his line, like you just said, where, um, yeah, like you're the head honcho now. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, it's very exciting. The whole staff is just going to be awesome. Um, but 
to our point of them hitting their recruiting trails hard, hitting the transfer portal, there is some news. We're not breaking news, but there's, there's rumblings. There's some guys, yeah, there's there's rumors of of um, you know some people joining the Orange so Squad. I don't know if you want to use this minute ninety seconds here to to lay out a little recruiting pitch or yeah, you just take whatever direction you want to go in because I think you have the more um, powerful voice on this subject within the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm we're obviously big Syracuse guys, and I hit GMAC yesterday. I was like, hey. If you, if you need me to make any calls, make any texts to any guys in the portal, any high school guys, let me know. Like I, I, I'm one who is a full believer in the Syracuse program. So there's rumblings of J.J. Starling coming to Syracuse. J.J. Starling, Patty was here for his official visit last year, but super great kid from Syracuse area. Red was actually his main recruiter, so I think that's mm-hmm. going to be a big thing. And, and there's been people saying Wednesday or Thursday um, – there's going to be a decision made, so I'm I'm really excited for that. I texted him. I texted him this morning. He didn't get back mm-hmm. to me. I was like, it's time to come home with the orange, yeah, yep. in the orange heart. So, um, could you imagine a backcourt with Joe Girard, Judah Mintz, and JJ Starling? Yeah, it's just everything you need right there in college I think, basketball. I think that might be the three best guards. I mean, I might be biased, but three of the three of the top in the four, ACC. four guards in the ACC. Yeah, like right off the bat, just boom. Yeah. And then we asked him today on our interview with Jesse Edwards, we kind of sprinkled in some questions about it. But, I mean, if you start with, with those four guys, that's – I don't know if it's preseason ranked, but you're you're immediately, like, just catapulting yourself to the top of the ACC in the preseason. I, Very I, scary ball club to play. Yeah. I, I, I totally uh, agree. And then – and then we'll see what happens with all the other guys that decide to stay or go. I mean, obviously, we'd love all these guys to come back from Chris Bell to Benny Williams, Justin Taylor to uh, Quadir Copeland to everyone. But obviously, mm-hmm. the, the, those are hard decisions to make. And I transferred once, so I, I totally get um, where their minds are at and, and really taking the time to decide if they want to stay with, with the Orange or, or trying to find a new home. Yeah, what's your what's your take on that? We'll actually go into the mailback question of the week. We got I'm I don't have it up in front of me, but we got a question about the transfer rule now because a lot of people view it as oh it's ruining kind of ruining college basketball. There's too much movement, all this stuff. You know what I mean? Because you watch any college basketball game, it's like four or five guys are just directly transferring, and people are like oh it's way too hard to keep track of. What is your kind of thought process on that as someone who transferred yourself? I mean, my first question is, who is it ruining it for? Yeah, that's what, like, people are like, oh, there's too much movement. These guys are going to three schools, getting all fired up about it. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah, I think the only people who are really complaining about it is the universities because the credits and the APR and the APR and everything like that. So I oh, you're, going, you're going school route here. Well, I... I can understand it from a school school perspective, right? But from mm-hmm. a, an individual basketball perspective, obviously I got I was able to take advantage of the of the transfer rule, mm-hmm. and I I do think that when you're a freshman and sometimes a sophomore in college, it's hard to make decisions because you don't know how the rest of the time is going to play out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I do know when, when you're a junior and a senior and you're looking to do a a grad year or post grad year, you usually know what that last year is going to be like based on like what the roster is coming back. But at the same time, you never know how that year is going to be. So 
for me at Villanova, I never really considered transferring until my after my junior year. And it was three years. We had the whole entire team coming back. So for me, I kind of looked at it as I have my COVID year. So if I like, I don't really want to do a grad transfer year. Uh, I'd rather go now and, and try and get my degree in a year. Um, but what I would say is if kids are getting persuaded to leave schools based on NIL, I don't think that is right. Yeah, that's different. That's that's the only thing that I, I think is diff- different. But when it comes to purely transferring schools, I, who is who is it rooting for? Because no one complains about it during the season when your team has, has three transfers and they're all playing well. <laughs> yeah. Like, why, why is it messed up for me to leave Villanova? They go to the Final Four. I go to Syracuse, have a great year, get to the NBA. Like, who is that hurting? I graduate. Yeah. I graduate from Syracuse too. It's not like I'm. I'm just going there and using their basketball program. So, for I would say for probably fifty percent of the kids it works. Fifty percent of the kids it doesn't work. It's all going to even itself out in the future. Like every single change that's been made in college basketball, from the three point line to the transfer portal to NIL to from whatever. Like there's always been changes mm-hmm. from the one and done rule. Like. It takes time, then it all evens out. Yeah, Kentucky and Duke were able to take advantage of it now, but no one wants a one and like no one is doing really one and done strictly anymore. Yeah. So I think. Well, it, do you, do you, do you view it as an even playing field though? Because I think that's the other counter argument. If I were to play devil's advocate, where it's like, yeah, you could say that, like basically the schools you just mentioned, Duke, Kentucky, Syracuse, like those are places where it's like they're just such a name brand that these yeah. kids who transfer are going to be like oh, well, I'm going to go to that school, and then they just end up being more loaded. But I don't know. On the on the flip side, it's like, yeah, that's just <laughs> that's just how recruiting is too. So, I mean, when you look at it, it all ends up evening out, right? The I think that the, it screws that mid-major coach who's, who has a sophomore who's averaging 20 a game for him to come back for his junior year maybe because maybe he didn't want to sit out a year, so he comes back and, and, and he ends up, uh, finishing his career, maybe does a grad transfer because he redshirted his right. freshman year or something. But for the usually those schools end up getting a high major transfer anyway. I was gonna say on the so flip it, side, it's like it, it there's up, definitely more. Yeah, there's more cases of kids that will transfer down in quotations than instances where someone a kid's at like a Mac school, Mac M A A C. Yeah, and you know they're getting twenty two a game as a sophomore, like you're saying, and then they go go up and play at you know Kentucky or UNC or something like that. There's Ooh. way more cases where a kid is recruited to that level, they play high major, it doesn't work out right away, and then they end up you know going to a school that's a little like in a lesser conference. But like the same thing I said, like who does that for that kid to go to Kentucky? Hurt. Like who does that hurt? Mm-hmm. The only people I would say it hurts is maybe that mid-major coach, because maybe he he could be in line for a, a top-level job, but coaches leave all the time in college basketball too. So I don't know. It's, it's it's one of those things where I think a lot of people have opinions on. They really don't know what, like the, the source of yeah, it. I just think it's I think it's a lazy is a lazy excuse or a lazy take because you know people are just going to agree with you if you're just like oh I don't watch college. There's too much. There's too much moving around with the one and done, the transfers. But if they love the NBA. Any, they love the NBA. Yeah, if they say that, if they say that at any uh, any pub, any local pub, you get you're getting at least like fifty percent. Like yeah, you're hell yeah, you're right. But if yeah. you actually sit down and have the conversation, like intellectuals like ourselves, like we're having right now, there's way more like 
nuance and way more layers to it than just being like, oh, these guys just switch schools too much. Yeah. But, um, Swatter, with that being said, you didn't fill out a bracket. Do you have a national title pick at least for the fellas? I'm going to go with the Houston Cougars. Oh, no way. I also had them. I'm looking at my bracket. I also have Houston. I have them playing Bama in the final. You just, you UConn just, in the you just final four. You just chalked it up? Houston, yeah, Alabama? I mean, yeah, that's usually how it goes. <laughs> but then I have UConn and uh, two Big East schools, actually, and Marquette. I told I told Big Fabian, East champion, Marquette. I told, Fabian, I told Fabian about two weeks ago, I, I was like, if Houston loses one more game, they're going to win the national championship. Like, the one thing is uh, Marcus Sasser's hurt, but... Yeah. I mean, the other day he had 30, but... Yeah. To your point, it usually helps the team when they end up like losing their conference championship. That's what I'm saying. I was like, they need to lose one more game. They need to get humbled one more time, and then they'll win the national right. championship. Right. Because everyone always thinks, like, oh, like Kemba that one time yeah. just won, like, nine games in a row, but it's like, it's hard. it doesn't really happen. It's hard, yeah, bro. It never happens. The two Villanova teams, I mean, 2018 they won the Big East championship, but in 2016 they didn't... Uh, they didn't win the conference tournament. I think they lost in the in the semifinals. They ended up winning the national championship, and then in 2018 they didn't win the regular season championship. So like, which is kind of nuts looking back because they're like one of the best college yeah. teams in recent memory. So so it's just funny because like people just assume, oh, that Villanova was the best team the whole entire year. No, they didn't even win the regular season championship. Yeah, Xavier. It's won also, it that I mean, if you if you just think of it in terms, of, oh, was Xavier a one seed? Yeah, Xavier was a one seed that year. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say if you just think of it in terms of like throughout the season, you never see ten game winning streaks or eleven game winning streaks, and that's what is required if you want to win your conference championship and then yeah. win the national championship. Now that we're saying that, now it, it'll be like I don't know, like Memphis will win it all now. Yeah, Duke's already won ten straight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and then it's like off. yeah, go sixteen, but yeah, nah, no shot. But um. Anyway, Swatter, that's any any more on the bracket? Any more on college basketball talk? Or do you, or do you think we can move into your uh, your big night last week? Yeah, I'm excited for March Madness. Obviously, 30. I'm gonna watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but excited. Yeah, don't, don't 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 take that part to heart. But yeah. um, Swatter, last Wednesday uh, against the Sioux, Sioux Falls Sky Force. Uh, Big ball game for you, thirteen to twenty-one from the field. Making nine twos is pretty impressive on your part. I don't know how many times I've seen a swatter do that in the box score, but uh, thirty-one points, and you played a shit ton of minutes. What was going through your ball, your your mind during that ball game? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of got hot early. I think I had twelve points in the first in the first half, so felt good going into halftime and just and just kept going. Um, Got, got hit a couple times and, and made, made some big shots. And uh, I mean, they, they're a really good team. We, we struggled with them the, the night before, I, or two nights before that. And honestly, just just kept on just going with the game, doing whatever the game needed. I think one of one of my big models this year that's kind of been my mindset is just if the game calls for me getting ten points and, and seven rebounds and, and us win, then I'm gonna do that. If it calls for me getting thirty and for us to win, that's what I'm gonna do. Like there's the way teams guard me now, it's so, it's so different, uh, based on from a night to yeah from a night to night basis because some some games they'll be on me, and then some games like I'll be able to get a couple shots open in the first quarter, and then after that, I mean, 
you yeah. know, like the shoot, the shooter's eye happens, and and you just go from there. But I think it's it's been a it's been a good stretch of games for me so uh, these past couple of weeks, and obviously having a big game um, this past game, and then had a weird one against Stockton. We're playing without a five man, so it's been tough to kind of like really find the the five the five guys that. Yeah, you're um, t- you're your tallest guy. It's crazy. It's crazy. I'm the fi- I'm the tallest guy now. So Fabian White's playing the five. He's doing a great job. He's doing the best he can. But he's six eight and he's naturally a four man. So it's it's just been really different. Yeah, it's definitely like clunky sort of at times. I would say, but um, yeah, that box score was insane in that game. Justin yeah. Champagne had forty and seventeen. Nikola Jokic or Jovic. <laughs> Jovic. Nikola Jokic played in the G League for the night. No, but that kid had twenty six and ten. Um, yeah, and then you were on the on the bench the last what two games for the Lakers, right? Yeah. The Knicks and um, the who was Raptors. It? Raptors. There we go. Um, yeah. So I don't know, like. <laughs> we say it every week, but the Western Conference right now is just nuts to follow because it's you guys last night you lose a tough game to the Knicks. You didn't necessarily drop in the standings, but if you were to have gotten a win, I think you'd go to like the six for the night, and then depending on how the games go tonight, it's like you could drop back to the eight. It's literally just like every single night you have to check it, or every single morning you got to check the standings to see where everyone's at. Yeah, no, for sure. It's it's, it's been a crazy. Uh crazy year in the west everyone's so close like the clippers are two games ahead of us but they're in the five spot now so it's just it if you lose two or three games in a row you're in a totally different spot if you win two or three games in a row you're in a totally different spot yeah and uh i think that's been the beauty for us so far is that we we haven't gotten too far from from the from the, the group of teams that are fighting from five through was it 13 12 13 yeah so so it's uh it's definitely a, a close race yeah the thunder and the jazz are kind of falling back a little bit but um. Yeah. There's. It's just like a log jam of all these teams with basically the exact same record. So. Yeah. Very entertaining to watch down the stretch. Um. But Swider, before we go, there's a lot of people upset last week that we didn't do uh, everyone's favorite really? segment. Very, very, very mad in the streets. They had their pitchforks out, cursing us off because we didn't do. Uh, it's a copycat league. Another peek behind the curtain here. The reason we did that. Adam Lewis, our uh, producer, he wasn't able to join last week. He was sick. He's feeling better now. But So I had to start the Zoom, and my dumbass has, like, a regular Zoom account. So there was uh, a timer on it. Yep. It was, like, a minute left at the end, so we didn't get to get to it. But very quickly, Swider, I just mentioned uh, Nikola Jokic before when I was trying to say Jovic his name. But there's – this week's edition of his copycat league is all about the MVP discussion because yep. on Twitter, on first take, on everything, they're just like, it's what they're leading with every single week. It seems like, uh, again, for the third year in a row, it's Jokic and it's an Embiid battling out. Giannis is kind of in the shadows a little bit. Um, but, yeah, who, who would you give it to right now? I, I don't. I appreciate what Jokic has been doing. He's been doing it at such a high level. Like I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Like the one game I played against him, he had a triple double and like barely even sweat. You know what I mean? He just he, he goes into every single game and he just has like this like mindset of of not only like dominating the game, scoring the basketball, but he can dominate in so many other ways. So his last two MVPs were very earned. Um, but I think for the the good of the NBA, I mean, I might sound crazy by saying this, but it, it would be tough to see someone win three years in a row. 
right? Especially with the way Joel Embiid's played the past two, three years. Like, he's not not only what he does on the offensive end, that what he carries his team, but defensive end, he does the same exact thing, like, if not, if not at a higher level. So, for me right now, I would say Joel Embiid. Um, but I would not be mad at all if Nikola Jokic continued to continue his dominance and, and end up with a third shirt MVP. I agree with you on Embiid, though. I just think since the last, like, 60 games, they've had the best record in the league. The other thing is, uh, kind of to your point, everyone says, all these voters say, it's like, oh, it's a year-by-year case. It's season-to-season. One, I don't think that's been true forever. I feel like people in the past have been, like LeBron and scenarios and Giannis two years ago, it's like, there's no way he can win three in a row, which is not even a question. Now, I don't know what changed. That's become, like, um, you know, a common way of thinking where Jokic can win, which, like you said, he's playing an MVP season, but... I don't know. I think if you were to look back, you know, throughout history, and you're like, oh, Jokic won three in a row here. Joel Embiid. Also, the other thing is, like, it'll be Embiid didn't even make first-team All-NBA one of these last three years. It just seems like how the last three years shook out, it probably should be two to one at uh, Jokic. So, I don't know. You could say what you want about the last two years, but I think... Like looking back, you'll just be like, "Yeah, that probably made sense that he got one and Jokic got two, rather than three zip." Yeah, for so. sure. I mean, they're they're both so dominant. They both mean so much to their teams. Obviously, their franchises, their franchise cornerstones. They're both young players in the league, um, which is crazy because they're they're both so accomplished for being yeah. young players. It is nuts. Um, it's just like Groundhog's Day with three years in a row. It's like people pick their their sides on Twitter and just fucking go at it. <laughs> it's like you're yeah, either yeah. a Jokic guy or an Embiid guy. Yeah, so um, I'm excited for the end of the season. I'm excited to see where both both these guys lead their teams in the playoffs. But I, I don't know. To me, it's just like the way Embiid's been playing, even like the game winner. Like, the, like there's certain plays throughout a season that like kind of mm-hmm. like crown you MVP. And I feel like 100%. Embiid's had had those plays throughout the season. Mm-hmm. 100. Um, you could use the argument like, oh, he's in a bigger market, so he plays bigger games and stuff. But yeah. I don't know. With with social media now, it's like you see every single thing that happens. But yeah, both of them, it's like, it kind of reminds me of the uh, the Bird of Magic when uh, that documentary they have. I don't know if it's the Dream yeah. Team doc or the specific Bird of Magic one, where they said back in those days you'd wake up and look at the paper and you're like, oh, he had 37 last night. Like, tonight, Magic would be like, tonight I'm going to go out and have like 28, 15, and 12 or whatever. Like, they were like competing when they weren't playing. Yeah. It seems like Jokic and Embiid might have that going on a little bit where... They definitely take it seriously and want to just, oh, for sure. I don't know, pull away, which makes sense. But, um, yeah, that went well again. I think that I think that's around a stash wide of the copycat league. Let's do it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think that's really all we all we had here for the top. Yeah, great. Like like we said, great interview with Jesse. Um, really excited to to see what what he does, what he does to see if he comes back to Syracuse, which we, which we would love to see, or if he pursues his pro career so great interview with jesse coming up uh like always follow all of our stuff at sweater show um email us your questions at sweater show at gmail.com and uh yeah let's, let's just keep it going let's just keep it going uh super excited for you guys here jesse and we're going to kick it over to the other side right now we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to The Swider Show. We have a very special guest this week, obviously a guest that we've been talking about for a while. He comes up on our shows a lot, um, so we're just really excited to welcome Jesse Edwards to the show. Um, all Third team, all ACC, one of the best big men in the country. Um, so so welcome, Jesse. Happy to have you, man. Happy to be here, man. Appreciate y'all. I've been looking forward to this. For Jesse, sure, know man. what I appreciate before we get into the questions? So a little peek behind the curtain of us trying to acquire some guests. Last week I texted Jess, I was like, oh, off day before the ACC tournament, hit Jesse up, you know, Q's big man, he's a force, a lot of our fans are Syracuse fans, and um, just, I'm not calling you out here, I was not upset by it, I was actually very excited, he didn't get back to me for a few days, the reason why, he said I was locked in on the ACC tournament, I loved it. Yep. So, maybe it was a change of plans for the show, but, I mean, that's just the mindset you want to hear from, from your senior, from your leader. Um, heading heading into the postseason, but I was about to respond like, "Yeah, say less. I'll be there." But then I was like, "I'm I'm I'm gonna give it a couple of days, bro. I'm just locking what we got right here." Yeah, we were all in, and then it was just a rough one. So I took like after that, I was like, "Oh man, I couldn't <laughs> look at my phone for like, like yeah." And I checked on. I was like, "I hit you up," and I was like, "For sure, man. Let's run it." Yeah. Well, well, Jess, we'd be remiss not to talk about. It's been a crazy past. What is it? Four days, five days. Um, five Sarah days. Last Wednesday. Yeah. Obviously, the game. The game doesn't go. Whatever the game doesn't go as planned. We, we end up losing on a tough shot, and then right after the game, Coach Bayhouse press conference, kind of hint, hinting at retirement. Then right after he retires, talk about the last five days for you, kind of the ups and downs, and obviously Red, Red being named head coach, which is a, which is a huge step for the program. Yeah, it is, man. And it is, it's been wild. Like, uh, obviously, you know, everybody knows, like, it's been coming at some point, you know, at some point, coach is going to have to retire. We didn't know when, we didn't know how. Uh, like, when I came here, people were saying, like, uh, yeah, well, you might retire this year, you might retire next year. Mm-hmm. This year, like, uh, when we were sitting in a press conference right after the game, like, he was, he was starting to talk about it a little bit. And I was like, nah, it's not, it's not like, a real thing or anything like that yet and he said like he said like yeah i gave my speech this and that and i was like it started slowly like the sink in like that and then people were like the hour or two between like it being official people were, like freaking out uh like all the reporters that were there were like constantly asking like sending texts sending this sending that like what is it is it official what is this and then when he finally uh brought it out it was kind of like it was sad uh Mostly, like, it was a good moment for, like, um, him and his family and for everybody to, like, round it off, you know. 
like the legendary career that was coach behind but like a lot of people were crying in the hotel because yeah bro they like they've worked with him for i don't know like mm-hmm. 20 years 30 years or like whatever it is so it was like both man like the the, the emotions were like uh high for everybody so it was it was a lot and then obviously red coming in was like it was a great thing but uh like it was it was both sides you know like happy and sad yeah Pat, patty and i were talking about it like we were like both emotional mm-hmm. of coach bayheim retiring because of how how great he's been to us obviously we were only there for one year but just the impact of coach bayheim we've been watching syracuse our whole entire life and it doesn't feel right to not have coach bayheim on the sideline right like patty said last episode he was like like people's whole entire lives has has been coach bayheim in syracuse talk about Talk about like what was that been like? Obviously, we were there last year with you, but you being there for four years, and now it's you, you coming to a point now where it's decision time of of you going back to Syracuse, and you have to think about what what Syracuse could be without Coach Bayheim. Yeah, man, it's like I can for obviously like I can't really like see it yet. Like it's gonna be different uh, in a lot of ways. It's gonna like Red already said like it's gonna stay. The standards of like that we had over here uh it was hard work and taking your own responsibility they're gonna like stay but it's obviously gonna be different you know like the way he sees it and the way the program's gonna go so i don't know but what it's like without Bayham is mostly gonna be like uh it's gonna be a hell of a transition bro because uh the staff is not gonna change too much because people yeah. like red mm-hmm. red red knows everybody mm-hmm. That's going to be a whole family type thing. Like, y'all know that. Uh, but I don't know, man. It's, it's going to be weird, man. Like, seeing, like you know, like, when he, the, the first game is when he's going to be in the stands somewhere. Yeah. Like, I'm so confused, bro. Like, mm-hmm. you know I mean? It'll all be weird. Like, even from, like, pregame when he walks out and they play that two-minute montage where it's like, they've been coming out in droves for Jim Beheim. It's like, I can't imagine going to a game and that's not the yeah. case. You know what I mean? Um, but, Jess... We're not asking you to break any news here. We're not going to put you on the hot seat. But like we like we said, a lot of Q's fans tuning in. Sort of the elephant in the room. They'd be mad if we didn't ask. Not your decision. We're not asking you for that on the spot. But what's kind of going through your mind these next couple of weeks where you're sitting back and evaluating? Because with COVID, you do have this this extra year. Um, there's a change in the guard like we just touched on. So what are what are some things individually that are, that are bouncing around in your mind when you're trying to make such a big decision? Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I, uh, right now, so I've been obviously thinking about it for a while. Like, it's not like I started, like, to think about it just when All the season yeah. Yeah, ended. So it's like the the, the the process has been for me is, like, uh, both sides. I have, like, things that could be great and things that, I don't know, could not work out, you know? So... For me, it's like really trying to like find a balance between like leaving Syracuse in a way where I'm happy about what I've done here, and uh, obviously everything I've gotten from the fans, like from the coaches, from all that. Like, uh, it will be hard to leave. Like, whatever I do, it, it, like it will be hard like not to be anymore. And like, like, I'm, like I'm I'm talking to y'all. Y'all already know how it's, what it's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, the feeling what you got when you make a decision like that. So I don't know yet because I still have to meet with uh, Red uh, at least one more time uh, before 
I decided anything uh, about my parents there and all that. And then I got a lot to talk over, like with a lot of, um, not too many people I'm trying to involve, but just the people that uh, mm-hmm. been around me for a while. So I don't know yet, bro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's going to be hard either way. You know, I'm leaving either this program, which I've been with for like, you know, the biggest part of my basketball career or, uh, I'm waiting one more year to, you know, go for my dream. So it's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a hard decision, but I think I'm going to get a, hopefully something good out of either way. Um, that's that's kind of where I'm, where my head's at. Right? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a perfect answer. We didn't, like I said, we didn't yeah. expect a decision on the spot. But go ahead, Spider. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jesse, talk about going into last year, not not this past season, but the season before. Would you have ever thought yourself to be in the situation of like, all right, like, I I could test the NBA draft waters. I could come back to Syracuse for another year. I was I'm third team All ACC because. I mean, I don't have the exact stats ahead of me, but you went from averaging 1.8 points a game to 12 points a game as a junior, having a really great junior year, to now your senior year, you're at, like your third team All ACC. Obviously, you probably, I mean, Patty and I were on the bandwagon last year. You probably would have been the ACC's most improved player if you, if you didn't get hurt. Should have been. Yeah. So, so talk about that transition of like, hey, like I'm just trying to like play. To now you have to make a decision based on if I'm going to play pro for a lot of money or I'm going to come back to school. Yeah. Yeah, it, that that is the hard part, bro. Because uh, that is kind of the decision you're making. Like, I'm mostly trying to look at what would be like best for my basketball career. Because even though I feel like I want to stay for the the like Q's community, the Q's fans, the the whole family I built up out here, I'm trying to like still look out that making sure that is the right decision. Also for me, you know, uh, what I'll develop here the best, whether I. Uh, be in the best position to become like the best player, you know. Because uh, obviously I've, I have improved a lot uh, mm-hmm. in the years I played here. So now it's like the the choice of like is is this the spot where I think I'm going to improve the most another year, or is that somewhere else, you know? So that's kind of what I'm like, what I see that as, and like I feel like. I, yeah, even basketball is short, right? So I do want to make my money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Honestly, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, make my money while I can playing this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, if NIL stuff would be possible, like that would be obviously a big change for that. But, like, with the international stuff that's still up in the air. So... It's like all this stuff is like it's kind of like unsure, you know. If I knew, I would probably make the decision right now. But mm-hmm. that's a bunch of stuff that needs to be worked out. So yeah, just we don't we don't mean to put you on the spot. We're asking some big time journal and journalistic questions here. But um, I think that yeah, I think that's what the people want to know. But um, <laughs> you mentioned your improvement and your basketball journey. You've had a very unique, as far as most ACC basketball players go, um, you know, getting to Syracuse. So. You don't have to go into too much of the specifics, but go back to the start of that. When did you actually start playing basketball and taking it seriously for the first time? When I start, I, I think I like the first time I played with like a team, like not on like one on ones on hoops or something like that. Um, must have been 14, 14, wow. 15. So well, I was playing track. I don't know if I like knew. I, I did like high jump and stuff. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! You were doing high jump. Did you just, like, get, like, 10 inches off the ground and win every competition? 
I was jumping. I did like I did high jump. No, no, I'm not saying you can't jump just with your height. I feel like that's an unfair advantage. Yeah, I was. I was, <laughs> I was, I was like, oh, like I was good, and then like I did like all around right. So like my sprint was getting kind of slow, bro. I'm not gonna lie, like these these smaller bros, which were like mad. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I'm gonna have to switch up at some point. Uh, did soccer for a year. I was also too tall for that. I was scoring like headers and stuff, but hmm. I was getting crossed up all the time. And then right, I'd say I was 14, 15, maybe I started to play. I know about y'all. What what age y'all? When... That's nuts. Like four? Yeah, like four or five. <laughs> that is crazy. Bro. Yeah, yeah. So I was old. I was old. So when when was the first time that the college game was like sort of on your radar? Uh. So my bro, my my middle brother went um, to Northern Colorado, and okay. like I was like 16, 17, 16, 17. So that's when I like thought of it for the first time. And then I went to uh, IMG when he was like a sophomore for the first time outside of my country. And that's where I was like, that was where I got my first offers. That's where Griff came, where uh, all that stuff started going. Yeah, I was like 19, something like that. Wow. Uh, so Jess, obviously your dad's how, how tall is your dad? Six eight, your mom's six four, six three. Yeah, nah, yeah. My mom's almost she looked like that, but she like yeah, she's six foot tall. Dad's like six seven, six eight, yeah. So it's in the genes for you to be tall to play basketball. Um and obviously your brother played. What what was the talk with your parents? Did your parents play and when did you truly start falling in love with the game and, and like like Patty said, like when was it a realistic goal for you to play high major to possibly make money playing basketball and, and all those things? All right. Mom and pop, bro, zero basketball, zero. Really? <laughs> Both. Like, my mom did maybe, like, a year of sports, but not really serious. Uh, dad played, you know, you know, it was for cricket, bro. Like, oh, yeah. He told me that. He told me that. Yeah. Right? He talks about it, bro, because he, he loves that. Bro. He, he always talks about cricket. But none of them played ball, not even, like, really anything else. So it was just me and my brothers uh, watching LeBron, bro. LeBron LeBron videos, and, like, when he went to the Heat, um, we started watching every game, bro, every single game, like the finals, even, like, the All-Star game and stuff uh, at, like, midnight or 2 a.m. or that type of stuff. That's, bro, that's when we started, like, to – like we we didn't do anything else than that. Like we would go to the court in the snow and stuff. And then like obviously like we were like older so we weren't really like used to it. So we bro, we love basketball, we love everything about it and then that's when it started. But nah, not from like older older we were like Yeah. So then fast forward, I mean it's incredible that you start playing basketball at fourteen, fifteen, probably two years later you're getting calls from from places like Syracuse, but what set that apart when you looked at Cuse and identified that as a place that, that you wanted to spend your college career? Uh, Cuse, my visit was like uh, after the season, so I came just, uh, I like dinners with the coaches, talked to them. Not gonna lie, it was like a, the, the family type of vibe, like everybody, all the players were there, uh, even though it wasn't like really in season. Uh, the, it was like a, Play, I felt like kind of good, you know, when I was there. Yeah. Uh, and then all the, bro, not all the pictures, the dome, bro. I don't know if 
y'all were like mad hype before you signed yeah. like that stuff. I, was, I couldn't like I couldn't really believe that was like a real thing. So I signed with that in the back of my mind, like just seeing the full dome playing in front of that, and that yeah, that was it for me, bro. When I saw that, it was, it was done. How much? How much of the conversation revolved around you just being like the anchor in the middle of the zone? Because I think everyone watching knows that probably your signature play is just blocking the shit out of people in the corner. So, did you watch some film of all their centers and you're like, yeah, I could probably do that? Not, not gonna lie, not even, bro. I, I knew I was gonna be in there, but I have no clue how it, like, really. Yeah. I, I only played man to man because, mm-hmm. like, we played some zone and, like, maybe 3 2 or whatever. But, uh, like, I was not, like, game like savvy about that stuff right so i was looking at like the the tapes and stuff when, after i signed probably i was mm-hmm. like oh i gotta do all that i gotta get to the corners i gotta get to talk yeah that stuff. <laughs> yeah it's a lot going on that's how like i started learning and like all that stuff yeah man so yeah man that's awesome but you go to syracuse your freshman sophomore you're talking about those first two years and how big of a transition that was because you come from playing at IMG at a pretty high level in high school, but when you go to the ACC, it's a totally different jump. Talk about those first two years and how much uh, you learned throughout those first two years at Syracuse. Yeah, for me, the first two years were uh, yeah, learning the systems, bro. Like, because at IMG, the people were just, like the, the kids I played with were just crazy athletic, like super talented. But I wouldn't say like it was like a, I don't know if, Makes the same for y'all, but for me, high school wasn't really like organized, really basketball. So when I came yeah. to college, more like learning to actually play more of the real game. Like obviously in the NBA, it's like next level. Like every place is 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 thought out, and then you react from there. And everybody knows everything from like the pick and roll to uh, every variation between. But for me, it was just learning uh, how to play. Uh, that fishing game like ro- like play your role and be really good at that and then you can do all your other stuff because I came in like it was before you were here obviously but I was like I, I got the rebound and I pushed it and then <laughs> uh, I-, I can still remember that day but I was like I was so I was so mad because I was like bro I just want to push the ball bro I was going to push the ball when I catch the rebound and then I had to learn that it wasn't my role yet you know uh, if I do all my stuff right and become good at that I might be able to do that later but like I wasn't I wasn't gonna push the ball like uh anytime soon you know like I, that that was the point guard's job and I got I had to learn uh day by day to just uh you know I, I'm not gonna do that if I don't get my rebounds or if I don't uh you know secure the pain get my blocks keep the team out of that that was uh that was those LeBron highlights you were probably watching like oh I'm gonna be like <laughs> I saw this man doing everything. I was like, all right, hey, I got you. I got yeah. you. But transition to the next year, the year that me and Swider were obviously on the team with you, um, it seemed like coming from the summer, there's definitely this this buzz around campus and around the team where you would be stepping into that center role and basically just having a much bigger impact on each game, much more minutes than, than you had in your first two years. I think John Rothstein actually had a tweet. There's a tangible buzz on campus. I remember that. But <laughs> – <laughs> it seemed like, you know, throughout the year, throughout the start of the year, you could see confidence growing with each with each game that you played well. And I think anyone who remembers the Arizona State game last year in Atlantis that. would be probably your coming out party. I think you had 21 and 12 and like 
four or five blocks, a couple steals. Just from the mental aspect, how much did that kind of mean to you to prove to yourself that, yeah, like I, I belong at this level. I could play 36, 37 minutes a night and really have an impact on both ends. Uh, it was for me, like one of the things, it was it was the, the like obviously me doing it, but I'm not gonna, I remember Swidey, you had like an interview uh, before the season and it was, I don't think it was, maybe it was um, uh, with Devendorf, Eric. Uh, and I think at some point you was like talking about who could help us. And I think you, you mentioned like uh, that in the preseason you, you saw me play and we played together and like you were like, I can really help the team this year. And like, I remember like that stuff, like just being able to hear that from, you were like the first one, bro, like one of the first ones. So I was like, that was something that, like, I'm not gonna lie, that was, I'm not even like just saying it because I'm on your show. But uh, that was honestly like something that was like put that confidence in me, like I, I, I like that you believed in me, uh, Bud, Joe, whoever, whoever we played with at at that point, uh, and that you told me that even if it was on the interview, that was like a big thing, bro. Like just having that confidence from other people. So uh, yeah, that that's one of the things, and then just. You know, putting in the work, uh, knowing that I did this stuff with Griff every day for what two years. Uh, yeah, that's that together. That's that's got to be the most touching moment in Shell's history, right there. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I, I, I want to go back to the so I remember it was preseason. Jesse and I just got stuck in the locker room together one day, and and I I think Jesse might have had like a, a tough practice. Coach Beheim was getting on him, and. Uh, like n- nothing new, Coach Bayham was getting on Jesse, but uh, <laughs> but I remember sitting down with Jesse. I'm like, hey, bro, like, out of everyone on this team, I think you have the potential to, to be an NBA player, to make an impact at, at not only at this level with our team this year, but next year becoming an All ACC type player and everything like that. And like, we're gonna need you if we're gonna be any good this year, right? And 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 we talked about it. And then when we were in Atlantis, uh, my first game against VCU, I went like two for fourteen, zero for seven from three. And Jesse, Jesse texted me after the game. He was like, yo, um, I believe in you more than anything. You've helped me out so much throughout this whole entire time. I just want you to let you know, like, since you did that for me, I'm going to do it for you. Like, we still believe in you. You're still the player that we all know you are. And we're going to turn this thing around and we're going to be great this year. And for Je- for Jess to text me that, I mean, that meant the world to me at the time because I, in my mind, I just lost the game for the team. And the next game we play against Arizona State, me and Jesse both have big games. We win. We kind of turn it around. I mean, we we battle against Auburn. We win two games after that. So, like, like those moments are so huge in people's development. I mean, because that for me, that could have been – if I don't have a good next three or four games, you, you never know with Bayheim. You know what I mean? Bayheim is all about produce, producing. So, I think I think moments like that define people's careers. And, it's, I mean, it's great that, that I was able to do that for you in that time. Just, but I mean, you do the same thing for me. Like I said, not because I'm on the show, bro, but that was for real, like a big thing, like just to have that. Like it wasn't just one time either. It was like you said it a couple times over the season, and that stuff keeps you like locked in, you know, because you're not like oh, I'm just doing it for me. It's like a, a team thing, like you know, if I do, if I don't do this, I'm gonna let out, let down the whole team. And then you stay motivated, you stay ready, and that, like being a senior this year, like I could see, like you know, the stuff you had to do. Like to keep people locked in and then, yeah. you know, as a team together. And that shit, that stuff is hard, man. <laughs> like, that stuff is harder than it, like, it is. 
think it is when you're like when I was a freshman sophomore, I was like that. Whatever, but nah, it's 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 fun, but it's hard. Jesse, talk about we go on this. We we start out nine eleven. We go on this four game winning streak. You're playing at probably the highest level of your life. Um, we're starting to click as a team, and then end of the game, we're up by ten. Demar Langford goes to your chest. You you end up falling on your wrist. You break your hand. It kind of changes the trajectory of our season. What what was going through your head at, at that time? Um, and just talk about that play and and the rest of the season, kind of sitting out watching us trying to battle without you. That was that was so tough. I was the dude, Jaden Zachary, though. I he's my he's cool. Oh like, we, yeah 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 yeah. Because yeah. after the game, like he was like, oh, like I, I was I was gonna about to be mad at him, but like I mean. He's a, he's a cool dude, bro. So, uh, but nah. I'm, I'm still mad at him. I'm still mad. At yeah, him. obviously. <laughs> but like, dude, dude, that that moment, like, I was at the at the moment, I didn't know it was that bad, right? Because I was like, I was Brad. I was like, Brad, like, it don't feel great, bro. But like, I think I'm good and stuff. And that's like after we checked it out and it was like it was, it was serious. That it was it was tough. Like, cause you said, like we were. Bro, we were playing so good, man. We were, we were like rolling four straight wins, and then, uh, like it just took the wind out of us. Cause like obviously y'all y'all could play without me, uh, like you did in the Duke game, bro. Y'all almost got one of the best Duke teams that ever like played, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but just to have like, cause we were like as a group, we were so together, bro. To like have to watch from the bench, like obviously it was like it was it was super tough. Uh. And then, like, we're just hoping that we might make Martin Madison on the uh, outside note, but it was it was just not, like, put away for us, I guess. But, nah, that was tough, man. That was tough. No, we were 100% hitting our stride. You were individually, but, yeah, we could talk about that till we're blue in the face. Shooting, I feel like it was, like, every shot, bro, was just cash. Like, whatever. <laughs> I think that shit, like, Boom! It was perfect, bro. It was the whole, the whole, the whole team of this tribe, bro. But yeah, what was what was it like playing, like you individually playing with a group like that? Because there are certain games where, this, Louisville stands out in my mind. They were just leaving you like it was like thirty feet away, like they would blitz the ball screen. You just have a wide open dunk. Look at the bench. We'd all go crazy, and then we ended up winning by like thirty. But, um, yeah, how freeing was that in, in certain games last year? With that many shooters on the court, yeah, but it's obviously like this. Obviously, we had good shooters this year, but last year was like an overload, bro. I feel like what we had twice, JG, uh, who played the former, like who played the other guard, Buddy, Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy, and Jimmy could shoot too. Uh, Buddy, we had an all shooter team out there. So anything I did, like rolling uh, or even just posting up, I had like full roam, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like. You know, in the paint, bro, it was a ghost town, so I could do whatever I wanted. Uh, bro, that was the, like the, the best time, like looking back at scoring. <laughs> bro. Like, and if I got an offensive rebound, I could just kick it. Yeah, it was perfect, bro. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. 
We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Chase Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. I think I think one of the most underrated things was at that time, you were starting to catch the ball on the roll and start kicking out opposite. Mm-hmm. Like you were starting to just just create all these opportunities for us not for you not only to get wide open dunks, but for getting shooters involved and everything like that. You're really you're getting really good at get games, throwing it to you. We are playing off of you. So I don't know, that's that that I remember one f- was a role from Joe. I uh, skipped it to you. It was a, I think it was Louisville probably. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that was that was some of the funnest basketball of my life was with those four games, man. And um, I mean, we, we could talk we could talk about this forever, but uh, but yeah, man. So obviously, after you break your hand, you have that whole entire off season to train. You play in FIBA. Um, talk about that experience playing in FIBA because obviously you missed the last what ten games of the season for for Syracuse, and now now you're going out to FIBA and playing for the Netherlands. How was that experience? Uh, that was. Super dope, man. Like, uh, like I played some of the best players I've played in my life. Like, even if it weren't NBA players, it was it was just EuroLeague pros who were either played in the NBA or like just are crazy high level. Uh, like, obviously playing Jokic was wild. Uh, I I still like I, bro, I almost had, I stole one of his passes, bro. Should have. But uh, that's the whole experience. <laughs> the whole experience, bro. Is, it was it was it was kind of wild because. I played a different type of uh, position, obviously. Uh, we played more of a, like only ball screen basketball. Uh, wow. Playing out of there. Uh, uh, I think it's kind of like the way most teams play uh, in Europe. It's more like a ball screen center game. Uh, and then, yeah, it was just fun, man. Like just a whole different vibe, like uh, of playing the game. Uh, and then it was good to have that before I came back because I had some some games, you know, before I, before I got back in the queues. So that was dope. Um, before, yeah, for sure. How did how did you feel about that adjustment adjustment with the style of play? Where it's obviously like you just said, a lot different from the college game. And on earlier episodes, we've actually talked about the difference between international games versus playing over here. So um, yeah, individually, how how that how do you think you handled that? Uh, I found it like. Uh, it was new, so like a bunch of the variations, like in the um, that we had on the team, that they were used to the ones I played a lot. Um, but for me, it was like the summer was just to also like learn a lot. And then when we came to Eurobasket, I knew most of it. Um, but just a bunch of plays, like even easy variations, like I don't know if you know the Spanish variation for the ball screen, like it's something we didn't really do at all in college, but like. Where you screen the screener, basically you get a back screen from the guy who normally yeah. in the corner, and you get an oop or something like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, bro, how would we never run this at all? Like, it's yeah. different, man. Like, I got like obviously it's something that coaches probably know, but choose not to, I guess. But I, I would say I would say one thing about 
you're going to be in the next level in a year or two from now, right? The the possessions, the amount of actions that you run are a lot more. There's there's just so many more actions that you run in, in the professional level. So you being a big guy, you got to know the Spain pick and roll, which is the roll and replace type stuff. Like there's all these different um, there's step ups. There's like I, I don't even like pistol action. There's all these different types of actions that you, you learn. And being a rookie, that's the that's the kind of time where you learn all these different actions and 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 you know like because everyone's gonna call it the same exact thing. So. Um, there's like five or six actions throughout the NBA that everyone kind of runs that you, that you know what they are, but it's it's good that you went overseas and, and in FIBA and kind of learned those actions because you're going to be running those things all this all the time once you get to this level. Yeah, and I already just looked at them just on like obviously on YouTube. There's a bunch of that stuff, but the amount of it's like it's little changes, right? Because like because the moment one team stops that variation, you got to like change it or like be able to like do something else. So it's all the yeah. like. I look at, like, obviously, Doncic runs a lot of that because he's really good at, uh, he already knew all that stuff coming in. Like, because yeah. he, where, he, where was that, in Real Madrid? Yeah. But just the little stuff like that, it's, it's fun to learn, man. But it's, it's so much. But I wanted to ask, why do you think it's not big in college? Is it, what? why, why not? People don't, because, the, like, the, the recruits don't really, like, know enough for it, you think? Or is what is it? Well, I think it's a couple different things. I think, first of all, it's a low-possession game in college. So in the NBA, for example, I mean, our, our Syracuse team last year, we took a lot more shots. But, for example, like in, in a G League game or NBA game, you'll take around 100 shots. There will be games this year where you guys would take 50 shots. So, like, the amount of shots, yeah, in, for Syracuse. So I think I think that's a different uh, variation. So, like, the amount of plays and possessions that you have changed what you can do on the offensive end. In college, also, not everyone can dribble, pass, shoot, and, and do all these things. So you kind of run plays for one guy, maybe two guys. In the NBA, everyone can kind of do everything. Maybe not to the same level as like a Luka Doncic or anything like that. But you can involve more things. And, and I think the IQ of, a, of the average player compared to uh, from NBA or FIBA to, to college is, is a lot higher. So I, I think a lot of these college coaches know it. But the, the games are just so different, Jess. Like, for example, you play against Syracuse. You're playing against a 2-3 zone. You play against uh, West Virginia, they're pressing the whole entire game. Like, you'll never get a team in the NBA who presses the whole game. You can't do it. The game's too long. So I think I think in just terms of uh, style of play, it would be hard to really put in all these different packages and options and all these things because you only get 50 shots, and 14 of those shots are going to Joe Girard, 13 is going to Judah Mintz, 12 is going to, to Jesse Edwards. So like you only have 11 more shots for the rest of the team. It's probably going to be on fast break, right? So... I see that. I see that. And I think, I, I think like the, the 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 IQ that the pros have is just like every player already has that, which yeah. makes you put it in. But if you have like five freshmen who've never even run like the, the stuff you have, then you probably like, yeah you don't have time. I think yeah, and and also like in college, like certain stuff works in college, right? Like uh, I can't tell you how many times this year we've ran a a post up a post-up ISO for anyone besides LeBron and AD. You know what I mean? Like, But that stuff works in college. You know what I mean? Just getting the ball inside and, and scoring. Well, in the NBA, the analytics are a big part of it as well. So you're trying to generate corner threes. You're trying to generate threes for your, for your top shooters and everything like that. When in college, it's like, all right, we're going to get the ball to our best player. He's going to run a pick and roll, or we're going to run our, our flex action, or we're going to run our post-up ISOs, or we're going to run – like at, at Villanova, we – like at Syracuse, I thought we, we we ran some pretty good stuff. Get shooter shots at Villanova. We 
never did that. We, we just got the ball to our three best players and let them make decisions and, and, and kick out and make plays and stuff like that. So uh, I think it's just two totally different games. And the shot clock has a big thing to do with it, too. you got to run actions with a short shot clock. With, with, a, with a longer shot clock, you kind of run through a whole entire set. Yeah. No, nah, that's true. That's true. And I think the, like, the role you play in NBA, from what I've seen, is just so much more like precise, too. Like I feel like the pick and roll big is going to run pick and roll. He's not gonna post up on the block or get anything like that. It's gonna be that's why. Just bro, every every player is like a. It's way more of like a a defined thing. It's like this is what you're gonna do. Yeah. Um, I do think in the U.S. though, we could do like a better job at a grassroots level of like teaching concepts like that. Yeah. I think so because like it's not like like y'all play less basketball. It's more like the 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 um. I think it's more like the, the the players are so talented here that they have less interest in learning all that stuff because they already can do like they can get buckets just by going. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. until you're like older, you don't really, I don't know, need to do that. It's funny because whenever we have a player come in from from Europe, LeBron automatically assumes he knows how to play. But, like, these United States players, like, they don't have the same fundamentals or the same coaching that the Europeans do because they they took – they saw basketball in the United States and went over there and taught – like, Schroeder was telling me that he played three-on-three three until he was, like, 11 years old, just learning how to move without the basketball, no, no dribble here, like, like learning learning just different concepts throughout the offense. So it's, it's funny because, <laughs> like, LeBron would be like, oh, yeah, Schroeder knows how to play. He grew up in Europe. You know what I mean, or or Ru- Rui should know how to play. He he grew up overseas, like that's definitely a common way of thinking, though. It's not like too far off. Yeah, yeah I think that's what it, like it's more like the the, the just because of uh, the the way it's taught, man. Like because I did that was the first thing I learned. I was I was new, like I was fourteen. I was I, that was like the first stuff I got through is like positioning, moving, and there was a bunch of drills where we just like move. Like no ball, and you just go through all that, and just be like, it was just be, it'd be like uh, getting in the right position, uh, and that gets you a little bit like in that in that um, mindset, I guess. And then there's dudes that are grew up in Europe uh, and played the game since they were like three or four, like here, and then they are completely next level in that stuff because they yeah. they take a nation to them, you know. So that I feel like that's part of it, yeah. So, so Jess, obviously, we're talking a lot about the NBA and everything like that. In your mind, what do you want to improve on before you get to that next level? If that's this year or next year, like, what are the things you, you think you need to improve on to, to give yourself the best chance to obviously make the NBA or if not be a high-level European player? Uh, yeah, I think what I've improved on a lot is just before it's just, be, you know, getting becoming a good player in the, the basic stuff for – position I'll probably be playing, which is center, power forward, like uh, rebounding, uh, game position on that. Uh, and I feel like I've grown a lot in that uh, department, just basic uh, big man uh, stuff. But like obviously the big man's transition in today's game, whether it's NBA or Europe, most big guys will be able to pull a three, a step out, space. Yeah. Uh, so, I could. I already have a decent mid-range shot, but like um, making sure that I have a you know a viable three, that you be able to space the floor is one of the things for sure. Um, uh, other things, um, 
working on my body, which is something I've done for what, <laughs> like whenever I like got here, that was yeah. the thing I, I knew I had to do. Uh, so I've become bigger for sure. I already have. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, basketball IQ, keep developing that. I think those are like the main three things for me on getting that shot, um, becoming like physically uh, pro and then, um, yeah, keep just developing that IQ. I think that's the main three things for me. I think everybody is a little different. I don't know about you, what you had, but that's for me the moment, the most stuff I need. Yeah, I think the only thing I would, not to be like a, a critic here or anything like that, but the only thing, I, only, only thing I would add is just pick and roll defense. As a five man, you're going to be involved in 40 pick and rolls a game. We, we played against uh, Sioux Falls, the Miami Heat G League team, and they ran 82 pick and rolls in, in our game. So every single play down, they were just running a pick and roll to get a mismatch, to get the five up, to get to get one of the players that they thought they had a good matchup in with. So just learn just learn pick and roll defense, the different pick and roll defenses, and uh, that's another that's another thing I want to ask you, right? So obviously. You played a two-three your whole entire career, and uh, we have a, we have a new coach now. Has there been any talk about a potential man-to-man switch with uh, Coach Red Autry? All right. Uh, from what I know, is that uh, and like I, I think it's not really like a like uh, like a secret. Like I like I, like I I don't know what he's gonna choose, but what I think is like. Um, like obviously going to be a culture change in the way we play. Like it's not going to be yeah. a gonna copy Coach Barron, like because that's his style, you know. So what I think is he's going to definitely go into some type of man to man. Obviously, I haven't like got it on paper from him, so I'm just guessing at this point. But I think he's going to go man to man, and then maybe you know keep some some of his own. Um, mm-hmm. And but that's what I think, man. Because I think it's 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 it's. Uh, his team obviously now and he's gonna keep some of the stuff we had, but you know, put in some new stuff. And I think that's what he's gonna do. So yeah, well I will see. Yeah. I think in I think in this press conference you mentioned it'd be a mix up of, of both man and zone, but when you turn when you turn Q's on in the future there'll still be times where they're in a zone. So but Jess, my last question here, um, it's a dumb question, but it's one I've wondered since I started playing with you last year. And since the second thing I'm going to mention happened to me individually in practice, what do you think is a better feeling for you, dunking on someone or on a roll, maybe catching a lob, or having one of your signature corner blocks that everyone became accustomed to? And then I have one follow-up. I lied. I have a follow-up to the uh, to the corner block question. First, I answer. Uh, we wrote the blocks, bro. Have easy blocking someone like because you know like the next time they take any shot they're gonna be oh yeah it's in their head, in their head. but whatever it is like whatever if you get blocked you need the next mm-hmm. you're thinking about it so I love the other it. thing is it's such a specific block too because when you watch a basketball game number one it was in our worst basketball feelings draft number one thing is like you probably shouldn't jump on a jump shot so like jump shots never get blocked but in that scenario it's like you literally just engulf it with your whole hand. So my follow-up question was, <laughs> had you ever, have you ever thought about or considered trying just catching it? Because there's some times where I think you could just, like, get it in your armpit almost and just go the other way. 
<laughs> like now you said it, bro. Because people tell me, like, they're like, Yo, why didn't you just catch that? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's ways are said to done when you're a third party watching it, but there's some specific with in practice with uh, our guy Art Cortez. I remember there's a couple times I was like, Jess definitely could have just caught that out of his hands. Oh, well, already I had to make a statement. <laughs> that, like, send it all the way to the other side. <laughs> but actually, like, I feel like if I could, like, I, I will. If I, I remember that from now. If I can, I will do it because I feel like that's even more, like the motivate. Like, oh, that'd be un- that'd be unbelievable. Because like, if you get your shot blocked, that's one thing. But if you get your shot, yeah, if you get caught, yeah. <laughs> deadly, bro. So. I got you. My 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 last question, Jess. So obviously, you said you started playing when you were fourteen, fifteen years old. Head into this decision right here. Obviously, we've we've talked a lot about it early in the show, but. Seeing the progress you, that you've made in the past two years and how much you've grown from being a backup big guy to now your third team All-ACC, would that kind of encourage you to come back knowing the, the steps that you've made so far? And, and, and maybe next year it's first team All-ACC and, and potential NBA draft guy, right? Like, Is that something that you think about or is uh, the progress that, that you, can, you just think you, the progress will continue to happen no matter if you're at Syracuse or not? Uh, right, yeah. I think it's both. I think, you know, if I look at myself, I've improved the, the game, uh, you know, where, in the places I've been, whether it was IMG or even at home, because I, I, I was obviously somewhat good when I came here. I wasn't, I wasn't too bad. But, uh, <laughs> like, I think, obviously, if I, if I would stay, I would definitely uh, make that next step, I, I believe. I believe I, 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 I could do that. Uh, but, you know, in the, obviously, like, when you do leave, when you do go pro, uh, it becomes your life for however much you make of it, you know, like if you, yeah. that's, that's all you do, you know? So I think I definitely would improve, uh, as much or more on one or the other. So I think it's, 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 uh, it's going to be a choice. Like, yeah, that's what makes it hard. Right. Cause I feel if I, if I knew like I reached my plateau here, it's time to go then I'll, yeah. But like because I know that if I stay here, I, I still have I, I I'm unfinished business. Like I could do here, uh, whether it's shooting or uh, getting from third team to first team, or uh, that's all stuff I believe I can do. So it's it's yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, dude. No, for sure. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the Swider Show, man. Patty, a- any last questions? No, I'm good. I just wanted to ask that one about the uh, the catching the ball before we logged off. But yeah, Jess, good good luck with that decision. We know um, you'll be thinking hard about it. So yeah, we're we're obviously biased. You, I'm sure you could guess what what we like to hear. But if you do want to announce it publicly, you're welcome back on. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no but- I appreciate it, bro. This this is great. Not not just again, man. I I love to see. I've loved to. See- to have seen how far you've grown so far and you're like a little brother to me man i'm just super proud of you uh, whatever choice you make you i'm obviously here for you and any advice you need i'm obviously here for you man so uh obviously keep going man we'll, we'll be rooting for you and uh you're welcome back in the sweater show whenever you want much love man appreciate y'all man appreciate y'all everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. What's up, everybody? Thank you guys for tuning in. We really hope you enjoyed this week's show. To find out who will be joining us next week, make sure you're following us on all social media platforms at Swider Show on Instagram, at Swider Show on Twitter, and at Swider Show on TikTok. We also recently developed our very own YouTube page, www.youtube.com slash at Swider Show, and subscribe. You can send in a mailbag question to be featured on the show, swidershow at gmail.com. And of course, if you haven't already, make sure to turn on those notifications so you never miss an episode week to week. Cole Swider Show with Patty Casey is presented by Blue Wire Podcast and our executive producer, is Adam Lewis. Swider Show is created by Cole Swider, Patty Casey, and producer Adam Lewis. All rights reserved. Thank you guys. We'll see you next week.